I've, I've wrestled today with, uh, with what to do tonight, not because I was wrestling with God. I just, I just kind of had a, a striving going on today. And uh, I feel in the Holy Ghost that the Lord would have me share some of the principles with you. I was going to just teach on our Focus 52 chapter tonight, which is very good. It's uh, where the Lord had answered Hannah's prayer and finally gave her a son. And uh, I had a neat little thought I wanted to share with you about it. Um, some of us ask, thing, ask God for things that we wouldn't be willing to give him back if he gave them to us. And uh, so you can tell it's not that I didn't have something to preach to you because you can walk a dog with that. Yeah. Hannah wept and cried, got bitter in her heart, and just not, not as in ugly toward God, but just wept bitter tears and said, Lord, I want a baby or I'm going to die. Just give me a baby. And it was when finally the Lord gave her the baby that we could see why he was willing to do it because she took that child and gave him right back to God. And you know that you have stopped praying amiss when you quit asking God for things that you want because you want ownership of it. And you start asking God for things because you know that whatever he's doing in you can be a blessing in the kingdom of God. And uh, that's a unique approach to the story but it's very important. But I felt very impressed of the Lord to share some of the principles with you that I had preached on Friday night, but I want to slow down and teach some of them, if that would be okay with you. Some of the things that I preached, I, I had never preached the sermon that I preached Friday night here. I preached parts of it, but I have never preached that sermon in my life anywhere. Felt like God gave me that for that meeting. But... Uh, I was really uh, on the verge when I walked in the sanctuary tonight of asking our media team to, to hold us from being on the internet, uh, but we already have an audience tonight, so uh, I'm going to welcome them on in and uh, have them join us, but I, I want to talk to you not as an inspiration to you tonight, but as a watchman for your soul. And I want to talk to you about some things that I feel like God has been dealing with me about. And uh, I get very emotional when I think about it because I feel a heavy, heavy weight in this generation. And I don't want this to sound negative or derogatory. But I want you to understand that I, I do have some fear. Um, I'm not letting the devil use this against me. I'm not saying that. But I have some legitimate fears when I look at the way people that are supposed to be holy people handle holy things the closer we get to the coming of the Lord. And... I want you to understand that things 
that we have always held sacred as basic doctrines. I'm not, I'm not talking about your feelings about Nephilim in Genesis chapter 6. I'm, I'm not talking about like deep discussion. I'm talking about basic essential doctrines. Jesus telling Nicodemus, John 3, 5, except a man be born again of water and spirit. Those are the very things right now, believe it or not, that are becoming more and more blurred in our movement. And it's not that people don't find validity in it. It's that they find more uh, validation in putting backsides in seats than they do putting converts in heaven. And uh, this is very difficult to teach without sounding like I'm being negative. Um, Someone said that we're making it way, way, way too hard for people to be saved. And here's where I stand on this church family. I'm going to get to my lesson, but here's where I stand on this. It was never difficult until denominationalism made it difficult. It, like, it wasn't a multiple choice menu. It was like, before the church started, Jesus told Nicodemus with prophetic utterance that you must be born again of water and spirit. And then when the church was born, they were all born again of water and spirit, including the so-called first pope who preached that message. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, who people pray to now instead of to Jesus. They were both filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name. They were holy people that lived a separate life unto God. And at that point in time, it wasn't hard to be saved. It was not difficult. You just got converted. And it cost them their lives. But now we look at it and think, well, what if it cost me my living? What makes me comfortable? Who I like to be around? What if it cost me... Influence with people. Well, I'm telling you tonight, if I don't have influence with anybody else other than this group right here, but I hear him say, well done. It's enough for me. I believe that we as a movement, and I can't can't really preach to anybody outside of here uh, tonight. Again, I I know there's some joining us online, but I want to talk to you from my heart tonight. I believe that we're at a crossroad where we're going to have to make some major decisions in the next few years to come as to whether or not we want to be accepted or we want to be apostolic. And I feel like that we have been given a modern-day invitation to sit down at tables of negotiation with people to discuss what doctrines are essential and non-essential. And I'm telling you, there is no such thing as a non-essential doctrine. It's just not. There's no such thing as a non-essential doctrine. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And I believe tonight that God is trying to get us closer to Him the closer we get to His coming. I want to make a prediction of power that the most powerful church we have ever seen 
will be the most separated church at the coming of the Lord. Does that make sense to you at all? The most powerful church that has ever been seen will be a separated church at the coming of the Lord. How do I know that? And do I have a book to back it up? I do. He said he's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. And so you have to ask yourself, how big does a spot have to be before it's recognized as a spot? And how big does a wrinkle have to be before it's recognized as a wrinkle? And I say to you tonight uh, that I, I probably sound like an old-fashioned man, uh, but it's just the way that I was raised, and this is what I'm going to tell you. I don't say this because it's rhetoric. I say this because I believe it with all my heart. I would rather stand before God and Him look at me and say, you didn't really have to do that. That wasn't really necessary. But because you took me at my word, you can come in. Then, then I would to stand before God and him say, like, what are you doing? I put it in my word. And so we got to get beyond this idea that we're doing this to please hierarchy and we're doing this to please our pastor and we're doing this to please preachers and we're doing this to make our, our families happy. I'm telling you, church family, I mean this, and I've got all my precious family here tonight. They know my heart. I'm not saying this to be ugly. But if ever one of them walk away from truth, I still have to be saved. I, I thank God for my grandfather. He preached this truth for many, many years. But if he told me tonight after church, son, I don't believe what you're preaching anymore. I've still got to be saved. It, we, we've got to get over doing this because it makes somebody else happy. And we've got to get back to Bible basics and say, I want to do what pleases the Lord. Um, there is a, a, a rabbi in, in uh, Jewish religion that uh, is very, very famous. He is known... Um, Affectionately as the Rebbe. His name was Menachem Mendel Schneerson. And he made this statement uh, that I wrote down some time ago and I've never been able to shake it. I literally think about it on a weekly basis. And he said, the problem with compromise in our movement is not that they compromise, but that they sanctify their compromise in the eyes of others. Think about that. Did, did, did you get what I'm saying right there? Let me repeat that. The problem with compromisers in our movement is not that they compromise, but that they sanctify their compromise in the eyes of others. I'm going to break it down like this for you, where you can really understand what pastors say. Birds of a feather flock together and if you want to get in some false doctrine you listen to me now if you want to get into some false doctrine you can find somebody that believes what you believe and if you want to justify sin you'll find somebody that preaches what you're doing as sin that it's not sin 
And you can sanctify your compromise in the eyes of people that will justify it for you. If you believe that, say amen. I want you to go with me tonight to the book of Joshua, if you would, please. I want the Lord to help us. I'm fully aware of the time. And uh, I'm not going to teach for a real, real long time. But I want to just teach on a couple of principles here. Uh, I'm very grateful for the, the support of this church. And uh, to be quite honest with you, sometimes when I pray, it, it scares me to death. Uh, because I know how much you folks love me and my family. And I don't, I don't say that lightly at all. I'm saying it scares me to death when I think uh, of how much influence the Lord gives a pastor to speak over the lives of people that love a man so much. And I, I told the Lord today, standing right here, I said, God, I do not want this church to be built on a personality. I don't want this church to be built on a man. I don't want to just build this church on relationships with people that I love very much and that they love me. But I want these people to fall in love with the book. And I want them to hold it near in their hearts. Because men have fallen and men have done silly things. And I've seen people that built their relationship with God on that man. That if that man, God forbid, ever falters, you've got to have something with God that will outlast that relationship. And you, you don't have nothing to worry about. I'm not, this is not time for me to confess to you that I'm sinning. I'm, I'm doing all I can to live for the Lord. But I'm telling you right now, you got to have something that's bigger than pastor. Because when Lot got separated from Abraham and went to Sodom and Gomorrah, we found out that his relationship wasn't with God. It was with Abraham. And when Abraham was missing, God was missing. In uh, Joshua... Chapter 5, we have come to the place where they have just crossed over um, into the promised land, into the land of milk and honey, and they're getting ready to have their first city taken, which was Jericho. So the chapter preceding this, the priests walk into the Jordan River, the waters part back. And the children of Israel, this is very important. I want you to remember this part because I want to teach about this tonight. The children of Israel followed the priesthood across the water. But that was as far as the priesthood could take them. When they went across the river, the priest could not take Jericho for them. You can only follow the man of God so far into a supernatural realm. You've got to be at a place where you can stand for yourself. Amen. And so now they're across the river. Everybody say across the river. And uh, God has smitten the hearts. If you, if you read the language, it's really kind of cool. Uh, he's smitten the hearts of the Amorites and the Canaanites. Because they heard that the water dried up. And the first verse said their heart actually uh, melted. Their, their heart had melted within them. Uh, their spirit was not in them anymore. 
they were captivated by the power of God. At that time, what time? When they cross a river, okay? They're at the crossover moment. The Lord said to Joshua, make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. Joshua made a sharp knife and he circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. This is why Joshua did circumcise and this is all very important. This is what we're teaching tonight. All of the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness by the way. After they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out What's it say? But all that were born in the wilderness, they were not. Okay? But the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness to all the people that were men of war, which came out of Egypt, were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, unto whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord swore unto their fathers, that he would give us a land that floweth with milk and honey. And their children whom he raised up in their stead, them Joshua circumcised. Why? Because they were uncircumcised. Because they had not circumcised them by the way. Okay? You may be seated. At this place, so let me, let me bring you up real quick to speed. They walk off into the water, they get across the water, and the Lord tells the priest to go back and build a memorial. Y'all remember that? I don't, I don't want to make you snore in Greek and dream in Hebrew, but I'm not going to run laps tonight. I've got to get this down your spirit. So it's a memorial moment for them. Somebody help me tonight. Why did the Lord tell them? To go back into the middle of the river and build a memorial. What was the monument for? For the generation to come. So that when your children say, What meaneth these stones? You can tell them that the Lord with a mighty hand brought us out. Okay? And they've crossed over into the river. Now... I don't, want to, uh, I don't want to jump way out here tonight and get distracted. But I feel like in my heart we are the crossover generation. I really do. I feel like we're really, really getting close to the imminent return of the Lord. And I feel like, I, I don't feel like we're quite ready to walk through the gates of the city. But I feel like I can feel the cool, chilly Jordan waters on my toes. You understand what I'm saying? I, I believe that we're getting close. But we understand as the New Testament church that the circumcision of the Old Testament believers was a big source of debate in the New Testament. Because Peter is staying in the house of a tanner and I, I want to teach to you, man, I, I really don't want to bore you tonight, so don't, don't get dozy on me, okay? Stay with me. God does not waste words, and He does not waste principles, and if it's in the Scripture, uh, I kind of like to say, uh, if it's the old noun, the person, place, or thing in the Scripture, it's there for a reason. Why was the circumcision such a big deal? 
why, why did they talk so much about it? Why did they fuss so much about it? Well, I, I, I want to break this down for you tonight. Peter, in Acts chapter 10, is staying in the house of a tanner in Joppa. Right? And while he's in the house of the tanner, he is on the roof of the house. And the, the scripture said that a trance comes on him. Uh, in other words, he's slain in the spirit. And all of a sudden, there is a sheet that comes down out of heaven. Does anybody remember what was on that white sheet? Unclean beast. And so the, the quick, uh, rap, rapid story is the Lord said, what do you think about it? He said, I think it's gross. I think it's unclean. Why did he say that? I'll tell you why he said it. Because he, was, he wanted to please the Lord. He wanted to please the Lord. He was a man of covenant. Peter was circumcised. He was a man of covenant. And the Lord said to him, don't you call unclean what I said was clean. What do you mean, Lord? And the Lord says to him, there is a man that I'm getting ready to send his servants to you. And he's going to come looking for you. And I have a message for him. And I have a message for you. This man is not a Jew. He is uh, a Gentile. And he is an Italian man. And we are going to connect you and they're going to come look for you and you're going to go to his house, okay? And so he is a centurion of the Italian band and his men come looking for Peter and they knock on the door and Peter answers the door and says hello and the Italian boys are standing there and they say, you talking to me? <laughs> Not really. But it was the Italiano brothers that came looking. They were like, you know Cornelius? Well, that's who sent us here for you. And uh, so all of this transpires, and we understand what's happening in Acts 10. Um, if you're speaking Yiddish, uh, Hebrew, this is the first time that the Goyim have come in contact with the supernatural outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Okay? But I want to take a look at where this happened. Peter was in the tanner's house. Why was he in the tanner's house? More than likely, the man was a friend to him. He had left Jerusalem and had gone up to Joppa, and there he was staying at his friend the tanner's house. What does a tanner do? What does he tan? Hides. What were hides used for in Bible days? Scrolls, okay? Somebody shout parchment. So the Holy Scripture that was written by scribes that was so important, they still do this this day, that if a jot or tittle, which is language of the Hebrew writing, okay, these are marks in the Hebrew writing, that if a jot or tittle is out of place, the scribe does not have the latitude to put a mark through that, uh, that Hebrew symbol. They have to start all over. But I want you to understand the power of where this happens. At the front door of the tanner's house. Because he handles dead animals. A priest could not even shake his hand. 
But at the back door of the tanner's house, a priest could not survive without him. Because it was that tanner that made a hide for a parchment to write the Hebrew scripture upon that was sacred and holy. So at the front door, it was a hate relationship. At the back door, it was a love relationship. And the Lord said, see, Peter, I'm trying to show you something. That there are some things that, that men have called unholy. But the difference is in the process at the front door where this man has handled dead bodies of animals. There is a process that begins to happen to that hide. That holy and sacred things can be written on that after the tanning process has happened. And this is where Peter is staying when the Lord speaks to him about the clean and the unclean. Okay? And so he goes into this understanding with the Lord and there is riding back and forth. I, I don't have time to go into this river deep because of where I want to get to. But the New Testament church has an understanding that as a Gentile, they settle the debate that a Gentile does not have to become a Jew to worship with the Jew. They received the same Holy Ghost as the Jews. They were baptized in the same name as the Jews in the name of a Jew. And the Lord puts this in their heart that there is a difference in the circumcision of the flesh, which was of the law, and the circumcision of the heart, which was of the spirit. Does everybody understand what Pastor's saying tonight? Do, do I need to go just a little bit deeper into this part, okay? So the circumcision of the flesh was in the Old Testament. So what I'm, what I'm trying to get to you on the fast pace is... When I talk to you about being in covenant, I'm not talking about the physical circumcision of a man. I am talking to you about the circumcision of the heart. That you've got to come in agreement with the Spirit of God. Moving yourself out of the flesh. Okay? Out of flesh mode into the Spirit of God and in relationship with God. Your flesh does not control you anymore. It does not manipulate you anymore. It, it is not where you're identified anymore. But you are identified by the Spirit of God because you've been circumcised in your heart. Okay? Now, so when I talk to you about circumcision tonight, I need you in your minds because we don't have six months to do a series. I want you to just start connecting dots because you can't have the New Testament without the Old Testament. Okay? So I want you to connect the dots to Joshua 5, what I just read to you, and the New Testament church. The power of covenant is the circumcision of the flesh in the New Testament. Okay? Has everybody got that? Everybody knows where pastor is. So Joshua has crossed over, and now they're standing at the, the border of their inheritance. They're getting ready to walk in. They're getting ready to take their first city, which was Jericho. The priesthood have walked them across the water, but they have gone as far as they can go on the heels of the priesthood. And the Lord is speaking to them very clearly, and He says to Joshua, these men that are trying to enter into the promised land are very presumptuous young men. Because they believe that they can inherit the promise because their fathers were circumcised. Wow. 
Oh, man, I really want to keep this. Are y'all ready to go to sleep, or am I keeping you? Is everybody okay? Oh, my Lord, this is so, so important for us. He said, I cannot let this generation inherit the promise that I gave their fathers just because their fathers were circumcised. He said, Joshua, these men need an understanding that the only way to possess the promised land, somebody shout heaven, is you've got to get circumcised for yourself. You cannot enter in into the promised land on the circumcision and the covenant of your father. You've got to get in the same covenant as your father for yourself. Now, we're going to come back and deal with that. If we have time, I'm going to come right back to that and deal with it. But because of time, I want to fast forward very quickly. And I want, I want to help you understand something tonight about this whole process and how this whole thing works. The men that had died in the wilderness in this particular scripture that we read tonight, they were the men of war, okay? These were the men of battle. These were the men that were trained. Shields, swords, all of these things, they were, they were trained. They were men of war. But they died in the wilderness. And now that they've crossed over, they're in the supernatural. They have walked through. I keep reiterating this. They walked on the heels of the priesthood. They've moved into the land of promise. But now they're faced with something. The priesthood brought them across the water through the supernatural. But now there was a battle, a city that had to be taken called Jericho... And there were no mighty men. Because the mighty men had died. Does this at all sound like a picture to you of what the future of the church could look like if we're not careful that we float in the supernatural and we love the heebie-jeebies and we love the feel-good part and we love crossing over rivers but when we get to where God's been trying to get us all the mighty men are dead. Keeping it slow for a reason tonight. It's a sad, sad thing for me to think about of where our movement could be headed when I think about what it is that inspires people to preach now. Oh boy. Now I know why I wanted to keep it off the internet, but that's all right. Let's go with it. Your inspiration for ministry should never be Hollywood. If you don't have anything more powerful to preach than using the NFL and the NBA and all that stuff, we have, we've missed something. Mm. I'm not saying you can't use an illustration from time to time. Don't misunderstand me. What I'm saying to you is we've got to have something more than inspiration to teach. If you wonder why 
we live in a doctrinally shallow generation, it's because they get doctrinally shallow teaching. Our preaching, if we're not careful, and why I'm teaching this to you and to not preachers, I'm teaching this to the church, okay, is because as a movement, we put a lot of pressure on preachers to entertain us. We have a certain style and delivery that we like. And God forbid that an evangelist come through that don't quite have the stride and the cadence of your pastor. And we got this in our mind of what a good preacher sounds like and what a good preacher looks like. And can he say, uh, ha, after every line. I'm going to preach to you uh, in just a little bit. uh, And I'm like, no, you ain't because you ain't got there yet. Y'all know what I'm saying. They'll get in front of that TV camera, boy, they'll move, they'll, move and they, they'll, they'll seduce that camera, boy, they got it down now. And I mean, boy, they're telling it. I feel in the Holy Ghost right now that a $1,000 deliverance is coming. You, bet, you can't put $1,000 on my deliverance. Get a clue, Jack. And we are so locked in. Everybody got your hearing aid turned up right here. We are so locked in to inspirational preaching. We want to be inspired. I want somebody to make me feel good. Is that in the scripture? You know where it's at? It said they will have itching ears. They're going to have itching ears. And they're going to be looking for people that can scratch the itch. But you know what he told Timothy? What Paul told Timothy? He said these are going to be perilous times. and They're going to have itching ears. He said, but son, preach the word. Preach the word. Be instant in season. Be instant out of season. I could go through the whole thing for you. But the element I want you to get is he did not say when they start getting like that, Timothy, inspire them to be better people. Am I against inspirational preaching? No. Do I ever try to inspire you? Yes. But we are addicted to being inspired. It's like in our nature. We're addicted to it. If a book doesn't inspire us, we put it down. Woo! You ever been, don't, please don't raise your hand, don't look at nobody right now. You ever been in that spot that's like, if so-and-so ain't preaching, I ain't going. Why? Because we like the style, we like the delivery. You know, this is how I've always felt, and I'm, I'm not just saying this, I mean this sincerely. I've always been afraid to miss a service because I'm afraid of what I'll miss. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, what if the night that I miss is the night that that one backslider we've been praying for comes back that night? 
You know what I mean? Like, we're people of faith. We believe it. We're a people of faith. It's like, man, they're going to walk through the back door. The prodigal's going to come home. We're like, ah! And what if we miss the night? Because I wasn't inspired. But what's so crazy to me is people that can't get inspired about God can get inspired about fantasy. I mean, how deep does a story have to be for you to get inspired? I, I've wondered for a long time. I couldn't tell you the last time I saw a TV show like a soap opera or something. But, but you know, when I was a kid, we were raised on the evangelistic field. And we didn't have a TV because we were in a box that had wheels and rolled down the road. But... We did have some hope, Brother McClain, because we went to the laundromat. <laughs> laundromat day was a good day. Because my mom did laundry, my dad played Pac-Man, and could beat the whole game. You, hey, y'all remember the good old days where you could, for a quarter, you could either pick Galaga or Pac-Man? Yeah. There's some nostalgia for you. See, I was raised in a laundromat. <laughs> I could have took you to the dirtiest laundromats in some towns, and I could have took you to the nicest one, depending on how big of a hurry we were to get to the next church. And I would sit, I would sit, now... I would sit, I had a, an awesome ability to multitask. My mom didn't think I was doing my school, but Brother Tony, I was doing my school during days of our lives. Yeah, don't y'all act like you ain't been to the general hospital for some healing. Come on now. Shoot, that's how your world turns right there. Oh, yeah, I spent some time in the laundromat. What I'm saying to you folks, listen to me. There were, there were people that not only watched the soap operas, they bought the little books in the lines at the grocery store that told the story of what's going to happen next week and then sat there and act surprised and cried. We had people in our family that would, that would sit and, and, and they, would, they would watch soap operas and cry. They'd say, oh, man, Luke, uh, Luke went in the hospital this week, got, about got killed in a car wreck. They think he might die. I'm like, no, I'm fine. They're no, 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 honey, not you. On, was it General Hospital he was on? I don't know, one of them. And people got inspired by that. Let me spell something out for you real quick, okay? I'm, I'm trying to get somewhere, and I, I want to get you out early, okay? God creates the earth. Never stops being God. Creates the earth. He's above all things, over all things, through all things, by all things. He's just God. 
He's everywhere. He's high. He's low. He's up. He's down. But he's God. Nonetheless, creates everything. Takes two people and puts them in the middle of everything. And says, you got everything you need. Don't touch this. Okay? Those two people who have all his attention, they did not believe in God. They knew God. There's a difference. Like, oh boy. They knew him, and they knew about him, and they knew everything that he did, but they knew him because they talked to him. And then they looked at what he said you can't have. He never stops being God. They stop being true to what they know. Okay, I'm, I'm trying to break this down Gerber style. God never stops being God. Everywhere up, down, sideways, inside out, all over. He's God. Creation stops being true to what God said, I did this for you. They turn their back on God, take what they should not have, and he has to put them out of paradise. He says, okay, well, now you're going to have to work for it. Because if I hand it to you, you don't appreciate it. Oh, man. If I just let you have it, you won't appreciate it. It's obvious. So go work for it. And then he spends an entire Old Testament going through the law, the prophets, trying to figure out a way to get back in balance, never stops being God, and trying to figure out now that those two have turned into millions and millions and millions. How do I get them to turn their face back to me? And when the lambs didn't work and the rams didn't work and the bullocks didn't work and the turtle doves didn't work and the priesthood didn't work and the temple didn't work, you see what I'm saying? I'm in fast forward mode here. He said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go down there myself. And I'm going to pay a price for them. How does he do this? Well, John said that he becomes flesh. Paul said to Timothy, 3.16, without controversy, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was. Like, y'all, this is real, real easy. God. He's everywhere all over the place. He becomes visible. He doesn't stop being God. He's still God up, down, all around, everywhere. He's still God. But he steps down in a manifested form. Still being God everywhere. And he says, I'm going to fix the problem that they created. First John 3.16. Hereby perceive we the love of God. The love of who? The love of God. Because he laid down his life for us. God's a spirit. How can God lay down his life? Because he had to have life to give life. So God becomes a son of man so that he can heal the sons of men. And he says, 
I've made a way in the Old Testament for covenant. Now I'm going to make a way in the New Testament for covenant. And I need you to circumcise your hearts. Because men that circumcise their flesh still turn their backs against me. And I'm finding out all along that if you do this work only in your flesh. You will never get in true covenant with God just by fleshly matter. You've got to let God do a work in your heart. I'm, I'm hurrying. I'm hurrying. Okay. So, like, that interests me. That's a pretty good story. So listen, listen to this. Okay? He says, all the mighty men of war are dead. So now the children that were... Uh, that were in their stead, that I raised up in their stead, need to be circumcised. I'm going to show you the most powerful principle of this moment right here, okay? Listen to this. I'm talking in the flesh around. The most powerful moment. Men of war are dead. We don't have any mighty men. We don't have anybody circumcised that can take the city. We've got nobody that's covenant that can fight. And so then he circumcises them, brings them in covenant. And the very same happening, they, they went to their house and they rested their bodies till their circumcision healed. And within that same week, we had no men of war, but now we've got men of war. How does that happen? Listen to pastor, I got to get this in you. The only thing that changed at all was that they came into covenant. Apparently, they were already mighty men. They had ability. They were able to fight. You understand what I'm saying? I'm I'm trying to do this so fast tonight because I don't want to lose you. I'm fixing to close this thing down. But listen to me. How do you go from just being like, they're there. Whoa! Whoa! I can give them a city. You understand what I'm saying? They didn't get big biceps when they went to sleep and woke up tomorrow. They knew how to use a sword. They knew how to use a shield. They knew how to have warfare. But they weren't mighty. The 21st century church has got to get something in our hearts and our minds. You may have a good parking lot attendant. You may have good door greeters. You may have good ushers. You may have good music. You may have a good choir. You may have good preaching. You may clap your hands. You may bebop and dance. In other words, you've got everything you need to look powerful. Well, it looks like they got something going on over there. Look. Oh, Jesus' name, help me, Father. If you looked at all these men that were uncircumcised, they looked no different. After their circumcision, they didn't just like get abs. Am I helping you right here? They didn't go to sleep and wake up and be like, whoa, what happened to me? There is something so powerful that happens in the supernatural When you come into covenant with God, what you could not do yesterday. Oh, I wish it wasn't Wednesday night because I'd have you running on that right there. 
The only thing that changed in the narrative was that yesterday they were not circumcised, but today they are mighty men of war. You don't think it matters that we are holy people, that we are separated people, that we let God work on us? I'm telling you, it makes a difference. You can look like an army and not be an army. I'm going to go out there and say it. You can look like a preacher and have no power. You may be able to get people to move and you may be able to get people to dance. You may be able to sling a sword. But if you're not in covenant, this is why we don't believe the new birth is optional. This is exactly right here. This is why we believe that you got to be born again to be saved. Because you've got to come into covenant. You can't confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and be in the covenant. Repentance. Baptism in Jesus' name. And the infilling of the Holy Ghost are all three things that it takes your flesh submitting to the Spirit to do. You don't speak in tongues in the Spirit. You speak in tongues with your mouth. You don't get baptized in the Spirit. You get baptized in water with your body. You do not repent in your heart. You repent with your life. It is the circumcision of a man that bring them into the covenant. I don't care if they dance Pentecostal, if they sing Pentecostal, if they act Pentecostal, if they do not do what happened on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, they are not in covenant. Okay. I'm, I'm finishing. So what happens after covenant? Good. Very good. They get healed of their circumcision. In verse 13, uh, verse 12 is really powerful. I wish I had time to talk to you about that. Bishop, I, I, didn't, I, haven't, I haven't got to preach this, but it's so, so powerful. Verse 12, it said, manna ceased. That was the evident sign, Brother Jordan, that there was a seasonal transition. Because God said, I'm not going to keep feeding you when you can conquer. Today he gave them manna. Tomorrow he gives them Jericho. Mm. Man, I wish y'all weren't tired on a weeknight. He said, today I'll give you manna. Tomorrow I'm going to give you a city. Some of us are stuck in manna mode. Because we like just throwing open the tent like, oh. See what I deserve? Woo-wee. Thanks, big fella. 
you're so good, I don't think I'll even tell my kids about it. What are you talking about, Pastor? Oh, glad you asked. An entire generation grows up in the wilderness that knows not the Lord nor the wonderful works that he had performed. How'd that happen? They were eating manna every day. Because their dad went out and picked it up and brought it back in the house. The same boys were the ones that weren't circumcised. Their daddy was. They were living on the blessing of their fathers. And you can be blessed by your father's covenant. But you will not take Jericho because your dad had it. So the hill, and the Bible said in verse 13, that Joshua was by Jericho. What city are they getting ready to take? Thank you. He's standing next to breakthrough. You understand that? And the only thing that's changed, God's still with them. They've, been, they've crossed the river. The supernatural's there. It's all, everything's there. But now they're in covenant. And he lifted up his eyes, and behold, there stands a man across from him with a sword drawn. It was Michael the archangel, the angel of war. He's like overwhelming, and Joshua goes, uh, are you for us? Are you protecting them? Are you for us or are you for our adversary? Verse 14, I love this, oh dear God. Michael did not say, I'm with you. He said, are you with us? You with them? And Michael said, no. Think about it. You for us, you for them. He said, no. I am the captain of the Lord of hosts. Listen. If he says, I'm with you, then he's just with the people. But if Michael says, I am the captain of the host of the Lord, then anybody that's in covenant, he's automatically for them. Are you for us? Nope. I'm with the Lord. And the only way for me to be for you is if you're for him. If you're in the covenant, then I can be for you. But I'm not for you. I'm for him. So you got to get on his team. You got to get in covenant with him. If I'm for you, it's because you're for him. All right. I'm done. Let's, oh, man. I wish I wasn't, but I'm done. Let's stand up. Mm. Can we just lift our hands? It's a few minutes early right now. I feel the Holy Ghost. Woo, I feel the Holy Ghost. Lord, have mercy. Uh. 
Ah, I feel something up here that's not so Wednesday night right now. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just listen to Pastor. In Genesis 15, I preached it to you the other night about Abraham, the Lord, walking through his sacrifice and covenant. Chapter 16, he does something foolish and gets Hagar pregnant. Chapter 17, Genesis, Abram is circumcised and he circumcises his whole house. Chapter 18 of Genesis... And I don't, I'm not preaching. I'm just, tell, I'm just showing you order. 17, he's circumcised. Chapter 18, he's standing in his tent. When he looks up, and read it, read it for yourself. Genesis 18, there are three angels standing in his tent. That brought with them the word in their mouth that would cause Sarah to conceive. I'm going to tell you what, you what I believe. He got in, in covenant in his part. And angels showed up. Joshua gets his men in covenant, and Michael shows up. You understand? You 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 picking up what I'm putting down? When they got in covenant, the angels of the Lord came to covenant people and said, "Now we're going to respond to what God said in heaven, because you responded to what God said in the earth." Whoa. Man, I feel something up in here right now. When you get your flesh in alignment with the will of God in the earth, then heaven can release from the supernatural realm that which, oh Jesus, that which has the word in its mouth that's going to set at liberty what heaven's been trying to make happen. You know what I believe is going to happen in this church? I believe we're going to get our flesh in alignment and we're going to get in covenant with God and he's going to send us the angels and whatever we need from heaven to bring the will of God as it is in heaven to be done in the earth. Mm. I heard somebody say the reason we don't see angels anymore in the New Testament church is because we've got the Holy Ghost and they only needed angels in the Old Testament. I said, have you ever read the book of Acts? Look at how many deliverances they had. I mean, just take Peter himself. 
An angel walks in, delivers him out of the prison, and walks him out into the street. Angel after angel after angel after angel. The reason why we don't see it like they saw it is because they were people of covenant of the flesh that came into a covenant of the heart. And God released heaven to earth and said, I'm not going to let you die in that prison. I'm going to show them and their household. And Peter leaves the prison and goes and baptizes the jailer and his whole household. You know what's going to release the harvest in this city when we get lined up in covenant and God sends angels to open doors for us. I'm commanding in Jesus' name that those three wards and an iron gate that opened for Peter, God's getting ready to start sending angels to open up for this church. If we'll get in covenant with God in the flesh and in our spirit, we're going to see the gates open. Oh, Come on, covenant people. When you get in covenant with God, you're not, you're not trying to convince yourself anymore that this message is right. You just, it's right and I'm in. When you get in covenant, you're not, you're not just trying to figure out how to stop sinning anymore. You figured out how to plug in with God and be in covenant with him. Pastor, I'm trying to quit. I'm trying to get over that. No, just get in covenant. God's trying to take us deeper, church family. He's trying to get us to a deeper level where we're not always having to overcome our failures. Because we just seal it in our heart. Sister Crabtree, we just love him. That's it. He don't have to convince me anymore. I just, I just fell in love with him and that was it. Man, I feel him here tonight. Let's come together tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. And if tomorrow night, if today is any indicator of what's going to happen in prayer meeting tomorrow night, it's going to be powerful. Because all day today, I felt those angels of the Lord, and I could just hear that echoing voice saying, my people are getting in covenant. My people are lining up. My people are coming into covenant. And when we come into covenant, he's got to release that in the church. How many of you want to be a part of what he's doing? Woo! Somebody shout hallelujah! I love you, church. I love you dearly. See you tomorrow night. Lord, richly bless you.